through a hole in the air From those nads to Yenemen Square It's coming from the field that this ain't exactly real Or it's real but it ain't exactly there From the war against disorder From the sirens night and day From the fires of the homeless From the ashes of the gay Democracy is coming to the USA Good afternoon and welcome to Voice of the People, radio by and for the 99% for August 20th, 2022. As always, we the intro music is Leonard Cohen's Democracy, which we like a great deal because it well expresses what we try to do for the next two hours. I am Jim the sound man, and you're listening to KFGM 101.5 FM, Frenchtown, full-powered Missoula Community Radio, live streaming on 101.5 KFGM, no punctuation, dot O-R-G, 
and now on podcast on anchor.fm forward slash VOP hyphen Montana or searchable on Spotify and other podcast apps under voice of the people radio buying for the 99%. So Jim sound man would like you to meet Sue Kirchmeyer and Mark Anderlich. How are you both? We're doing good. Yeah, good. Yeah. And we broadcast from the new public library in the Missoula Valley of Montana, the ancestral homeland of the Salish and Kootenai people. We are recording this show from the comfort of our own homes, which are similarly located in the ancestral homeland of the Salish and Kootenai people. And despite all of our deepest wishes, the pandemic is not quite over yet, and we may be looking at a new one, perhaps. Uh, I hope not. Anyway, we need to hang in there still by doing your part and our part by wearing masks when you are inside in public and by frequent washing of your hands. The show is pre-recorded as our part in halting the pandemic. We hope you enjoy the show as we enjoyed learning how to put this together without going into the studio. And we want to give old Mick a shout out too. Hey, Mick. Nick, this is Missoula Public Library. Shall be your home too. Come on down here and show everybody what it's like to have a real sound man. <laughs> well, we have a good show today. Um, and it's principally on one giant theme. That's our word of the week. Um, but uh, we have all kinds of important stuff to talk about. Seems like there is no shortage of topics ever. Isn't that the truth? I look forward to the rest of the show. All right. Now, the rest of the show begins now. <laughs> and the word of the week is public health. This has certainly become prominent during the COVID-19 pandemic, but not much thought of before that. Indeed, Jim. And perhaps it's because it's been tested like it's never been tested before. Um, we don't think about public health much unless public health is threatened in some way, um, which is, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? Um, of course, uh, safeguarding the public health is an all-the-time job. Yes, it is. And what defines public health? Well, uh, one useful definition found was uh, <clears throat> public health de been defined by Charles Edward Amory Winslow. That's a long name. That's a hyphenated name, um, by oh, the way. They're the best kind. There Just you go. Ask any British person. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, in uh, Mr. Winslow's uh, book uh, entitled The Untilled Field of Public Health in 1920, uh, he calls it the science and art of preventing disease, prolonging life and improved, improving quality of life through organized efforts and informed choices of society, organizations, the public, private, communities, and individuals. According to our collective wisdom at Wikipedia, one part of our national public health system, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, otherwise known as the CDC, which we're going to talk about a lot today, <laughs> um, states that the scope of public health includes, quote, analyzing the, the determinants of health of a population and the threats it faces, end quote. I should note, as regular listeners know, we like to use Wikipedia as a reference for our words of the week. 
our fearless leader and radio station manager, JVD, has suggested that we include a note about Wikipedia. And here is that note. Each entry is written by the public with citations provided for sources of information. So the accuracy of each entry may vary somewhat. Yeah, health in this use means more than the absence of disease, does it not? Absolutely. Um, the concept of health takes into account physical, psychological, and social well-being. As such, according to the World Health Organization, or WHO, the world's public health entity, quote, health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity, end quote. These are what are called the social determinants of health. These range quite broadly. For example, poverty becomes a public health issue as people without much money tend to eat inferior diets, don't seek medical treatment when needed, and have less political power generally to improve their situation, all contributing to a state of less than desired physical, mental, and social well-being. There is a public health concept taking hold with funders and health, and health providers called whole person health. It is simply looking at not only the medical aspects of health, but also the social determinants of health, such as class, racism, sexism, exploitation, and the like, which have huge impacts on the medical side of health. You said that the CDC is just one part of the U.S. Public Health Agency. What are some of the other parts? Well, the U.S. Public Health Service, located within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, includes the following agencies, the National Institutes of Health, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Indian Health Service, the Food and Drug Administration, the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, um, that, <laughs> that, would be, that would be an interesting job. Yeah, um, it would be an interesting acronym, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah boy. Um, the Health Resources and Services Administration, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Public health covers quite a broad variety of issues from food safety to drug addiction treatment. Indeed, it does. And probably should be even broader, right? Um <laughs> Uh, because yeah, because uh, like level of one's income or their your status within society, you know, under race or gender or uh, you know sexual orientation, whatever, all of those have an impact on uh, on health. And so, uh, to the extent that they incorporate that, I can't speak to, but. Um, their work, public health workers' work, means life or death for millions of people. That's why we need, in my opinion, competent agencies properly funded for this important work, both on the federal and state levels. Yeah, and I think, too, the, the acceptance of the public health work is really important so that their recommendations are accessible and appreciated by the population that it's not just seen as a another way of controlling them right right yeah and so there's got to be a trust established 
you know, um, mm -hmm. between the public health agencies and, and most of the population. I mean, there's probably always going to be some people who um, doubt science or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, sure. But um, if, you know, any mess, missteps, right, any breaking of that trust, it's which I would argue is really what's happened with the CDC um, is almost makes it very difficult for them to accomplish their work. Mm -hmm. And for people on the ground, I mean, when you're in a community, um, that's, it's hard work there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So have been driven out of the field. Um, and I, you know, a lot is so much that's being done to undermine Working. Yeah. Now, Sue, you you're a retired nurse. Did you did you ever work in public health at all? No. It was my first thought when I got done with um, school. That's what I thought I would do. Uh, but I wound up um, doing preventive health work. But it was um, in in diabetes education and then in case management uh, for people with disabilities. So that was a lot of preventive work there, um, but it wasn't in the public health sphere. But you, in, in your work, did did you consider like people's, you know, station in society and in class and that kind of thing? Did, did that ever come into, into play in your work? Well, the, the part of work that I was, well, actually I was involved with, really it was a state program. So I guess you could say it was public health. The, um, uh, case management for people with physical disabilities. When people with on our program were Medicaid based, which means that they're all, everyone is low income. I mean, you start out with an income and you wind up with none. Um, so you are really you're you're totally at risk. Your housing is at risk. The whole works are at risk. Mm -hmm. And that whole process is coming. You can you can see just how health just kind of destroys your class security your socioeconomic security, you are down by the time you're on uh, a program like that. Yeah. Now, did, did they, when you were practicing, did, did, was that idea of social determinants of health, was that a concept that was something mm -hmm. you were taught in school or was that used in, in your profession or is that something more recent, do you think? Well, the, re the whole rehab um the whole premise of rehab is as a team program with the, the person with a disability at the center and reaching their goals. Um, they're, they're basically the leader of the team and everyone's working as a team to follow their goals. And so it's, to me, it's the best form. It's not hierarchical. It's all team and it's client centered and based on where they want to go with their health and their social success, that kind of thing, the stability of their families, their housing, the whole works. It's huge. When it's done right, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Like give some examples of who else would be on that team. Um, well, first of all, you would have both a social worker and a, well, in this case, an RN as um, members of the team. The, the first thing that would be established as of course, what the person's goals are, and then how to help them maintain their national natural supports, which are usually totally frayed by the time you go in there. Uh, so, it, for people to, for you to come into the home means that you have to establish that again. That trust is is the core. It's the rock 
the rock on which you build. Without it, people can't leave their loved one in the care of anyone else in order to decrease their own stress. So um, it's just beautiful when you see it happen, how you can gradually not be like the big brother coming in, but as truly someone who is following the person's goals for their lives and for the support of their whole mm. their whole social matrix. Um, and to help them, you know, succeed. I mean, that's where housing is so core. If you lose your housing, then everything mm-hmm. down. Um, and you can't accomplish any of your goals without that stability. Um, so it's it's just sort of so organic. It's it's like I said, it's just a beautiful thing when you mm-hmm. see it really organically, um, respectful of the person. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was built without the whole. The whole system was built so that you were never in the point of taking someone's services away, um, and then giving that profit to a to a you know an insurance company or something stockholders. It was built on the premise of a set amount of money, a set number of people. If some people were getting better, they would need less services, and those services then would be um, moved over to uh, people who were in a situation where their health was going to get worse. Hmm. Oh, it was just there was just this integrity to the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Did did you ever have? Um, you you said trust is sort of the foundation which all that happened. Did, did you ever have any experience where you had to work extra hard to build that trust? Or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There's a really gorgeous situation where uh, family was uh, grandparents were raising their um, grandson, and uh, back when he he was. Uh, it was older than just high school after high school when we went in and then early in his their time with social services and schools and so forth it'd been really antagonistic so when we went in they really needed help there was now cancer in the family in the grandparents and uh so we went in there to help her grandmother and then over time the social worker really was able to get that trust going and then um they gradually came to want help for the grandson too. And so it was just mm-hmm. wonderful. And then by the time she died and it was just the grandfather and then he got cancer. Um, and then to find a trust place of trust for his grandchild, it was just, just, it was just really touching. Yeah. For him to really be able to trust um, what he wanted to see happen for his grandson. It was a gorgeous and was down the bitter so it was mm-hmm. especially cool. Yeah. Well, that's um, – and you mentioned social workers. Um, I mean, on this show, we talk a lot about organizing and more in the context of unions or politically, but social workers are kind of organizers uh, around health, right? I mean, for, for the client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they should be organized themselves. Um, it's – I mean, the RNs were organized in the hospital I worked at, well, both hospitals in, in Missoula. And, uh, but the, ner- the social workers never got organized. They hadn't been organized. And it's, they, mm-hmm. it's, it, just, it just makes no sense for them not to be organized because really their, their impact on the whole system is um, it's pivotal. Yeah. But I mean, what, what I was saying is that I, I agree with they should, and I've, I've had a hand in organizing some social workers too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. over yeah, yeah over at Western Montana Mental Health, but um, the uh, but they the, their their job actually in that situation that you're describing that you worked in, they actually kind of help the client get organized 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and to not have these, um, uh, you know, these impediments to, to a, achieving mm-hmm. full health is what we're talking about, right? So the housing issue that so the social worker would be the one that run interference on getting housing sometimes, right? Oh, absolutely. And that would happen in our situation too. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I, I mean, that really, your story totally backs up this, you know, this kind of definition that we got out here, which is important. And I think a lot of people tend to think about maybe put things into silos like you know health is in one silo and housing is in another silo and maybe good a good job is another silo but they really are more organically connected than than um especially around health right um it's kind of where it all comes together it seems mm-hmm. yeah yeah you have a big health blow in your family and uh i mean it just it can just affect everything. As usual, lots of news to cover f- from this week. What's first in our current news, Mark? Well, like like it has been. Um, <laughs> uh, despite 20 months of vaccines against COVID-19 being available in the U.S., the pandemic is still with us. According to the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center website, The overall number of new daily COVID-19 cases in the U.S. is now slowly falling at a rate to a rate of about 94,000 cases a day, down from over 1,382,000 per day on January 10th of this year, which was by far the highest rates for the U.S. during the entire pandemic. However, now many scientists and others question the validity and accuracy of the CDC's case numbers because of the prevalence of unreported home tests, lack of uniform data reporting requirements by the states, and the incompetency of the CDC. The highest per capita rates of COVID infection today are in South Korea, Japan, Jim. Um, I'm listening. That's why I'm here and not there. <laughs> uh, Greece, Moldova, Taiwan, Singapore, New Zealand, Serbia, Australia, and Latvia in that order. Um, lot, a lot in um, places that were doing really good at the originally. Uh, oh, COVID. yeah. Um, so, um, and there are new variants of COVID-19, mm-hmm. of course, that are making the rounds um, at over uh, 1,140,000 deaths. And that's still an estimation at this point. The U.S. is still by far the world leader in COVID-19 deaths. This is equivalent to the population of the city of San Jose, California. That's a big city. Um, Yes. uh, And and those people are all missed. Um, The U.S. has so far accounted for 16% of all the deaths in the world, and even with unreliable data, for 16% of the confirmed cases, all with still only 4% of the world's population. And as we have said, these 20 months, <laughs> yeah. those are grim things to be exceptional at. Indeed, they are. So what's the situation now in Montana? Well, according to the state of Montana COVID-19 website in the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center website, Montana has had 3,481 deaths from COVID. However, that's zero deaths in the last two weeks. 
that's so that's some good news. Um, however, this total number of deaths is about equal to that of the population of the town of Glasgow, Montana. Uh, glad not not Scotland. That. That's true. Yeah, not Scotland. Um, as of Friday, Montana is averaging a slowly falling rate of about 266 new cases a day. This is already the fourth worst outbreak in Montana. We're at the kind of the tail end of, of this outbreak, I think. Um, fully, 25% of all Montanans have had or have COVID. And there are currently, in, and that number is probably low, right? It's probably a higher percentage than that. And there are currently 98 people hospitalized with the virus. Again, same as two weeks ago. So, um, you know, that's maybe good news too. We have been saying this since February 2020, and we will keep saying it until the pandemic is completely beaten. It is basically basic solidarity for everyone to wear masks when in public spaces indoors, to distance themselves from others as best you can, and to frequently wash your hands if we're going to beat this pandemic. Solidarity requires some sacrifice, but it is essential. Absolutely. And it's ironic that uh, solidarity fits into the whole public health realm about improving the quality of life for everybody so that the outliers on the bottom don't spread a contagion as it is with the COVID specific issues. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's an excellent point, Jim, in that. That's why you got me here, Mark. Yeah. Um, in, in that, uh, the, you know, part of the reason we have these variants, I mean, all these variants and the continuing of the, mm -hmm. is that we didn't practice solidarity. We didn't, right. we, we didn't take care of the least of ourselves right. in the world, um, mm -hmm. even, um, and that's just coming back to, um, uh, infect the rest of us. So, yeah, understood. So because the vaccines won't protect you necessarily from getting COVID, the trick is to not get infected or reinfected. Yep, that's what it seems like now. Uh, but the problem is that in the U.S. mass mandates, restrictions on public gatherings, closures of businesses and events have all but disappeared. In its place, the Biden administration has led us into a vaccine-only prevention strategy. This worked for a while, but now it's apparent that the COVID immunity from the vaccine lasts maybe six months at best. Mm. At worst, it is completely ineffective against catching COVID. There are tons of stories about people getting the virus weeks apart, even if fully vaxxed and boosted. And we don't know the extent of the problem, as last year the CDC stopped keeping track of so-called breakthrough cases, people getting COVID even if vaccinated. We reported that at the time and quoted a nurses union as saying that that was tantamount to malpractice by the CDC. If the mRNA vaccines effectiveness have become close to zero, then we are setting up for a terrible new wave of COVID perhaps in the very near future, unless we all take these precautions. Well, um, to change the subject, any good news for this week's show, Mark? <laughs> yeah, always, always the optimist. That's a sound man. I know it's it's. Well, oh, I was going to say. Oh, go ahead, Sue. I was just going to throw out there. Maybe I missed something, but um, are you? It seems to me that the the vaccines, there's as I understood it, are helping the event of COVID to not be as serious. Mm -hmm. and so I guess Correct. I'm, I'm not quite sure what <clears throat> this is close to zero in that 
in that light, I don't in, know in, pre in, in preventing you from getting COVID, it is, it, it, it won't stop you from getting COVID. The vaccines won't. I mean, it's it, the, 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 there's so many stories. I mean, I just heard yesterday somebody who um, in, in a household came down with COVID had been or tested positive for COVID, had been vaccinated, had been boosted, had gotten COVID before and mm -hmm. still got it again, while mm -hmm. someone else in the household who wasn't vaccinated didn't get it. Mm -hmm. You know, so something's not working mm -hmm. there, right? And well, we don't, and, and yeah. we don't know the extent of that. Um, we can't say the extent of that because the CDC doesn't collect that information, hasn't for over a year. Well, I guess I'm, I'm, I, I'm bringing out whether, and I haven't looked at it, but my understanding was, or it has been that the vaccines are helping to prevent death and serious hospitalization, even if mm. they're not keeping you from actually yeah. getting COVID. I mean, for instance, I mean, when you do anecdotal, I can talk about a neighbor whose nephew is 42 and now has heart failure mm -hmm. and never got whatever done his third round with COVID. Um, so he would have been immune, immune from having it. And by the third time, yeah. this time, a lot of his systems went down. So I guess that's what I, when you say zero, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just bringing out that there's that mm -hmm. element of, like, if you're working in the hospital, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. The treatments too, you know, of, of right. somebody who's going down yeah. and rising, there's no way to bring it back. But see, and I think you you could very well be right, but there's no there's no scientific data to say mm -hmm. one way or another because it's not being collected. And right. I I think that you could say also well, that well maybe the the varieties of the the mutations of COVID have mm -hmm. become less deadly on their own. How much the you know. I, I I think there probably is a benefit, right? I, I I think, you know, generally there seems to be it reduces the death from COVID, but um I, I'm not even sure that's backed up by science. My well, um my memory of um getting the vaccine out on the street and the big push to get people vaccinated was that the um the COVID spikes were using up the capacity of hospitals and the, and the healthcare system and the available staff to deal with the outbreak. And the, and the goal near term and was let's make sure that we don't have more people in the hospital at any one time than we can cope with. So let's maintain the strain. So, so maybe what we're talking about now is a follow-on effect and it wasn't, seen as a top priority at the time that the vaccines were developed. Mm. Yeah. yeah I mean, that could be. Montana, there haven't been, you're saying any deaths in the last two weeks and there's still got 98 people in the hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure they're not the same people, but it, I don't know. I don't, there's a certain, um, I think, well, at least I, my understanding, at least one thing I heard like 98, 95% of the country has some kind of herd immunity at this point, either having it or getting their vaccines and so forth. So there, there is no herd immunity with, hmm. with COVID. I mean, that's, that's shown to be, I mean, that was a hope, right? That in fact, a lot of viruses, that's kind of like, 
I mean, that's how inoculations work and, and, and right. vaccines work, right? Is, but um, because they're not, you know, uh, how many of those deaths were, you know, in the, you know, in the last year, say, for instance, how many of those deaths were people who were vaccinated? We don't know. Not very many. I, 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 I they don't keep those statistics, Sue. I think I've seen that. Well, well anyhow, <laughs> this time I'll, I'll send you a link. I'll, I'll look at it. Okay. Directly. That sounds good. But I, <laughs> yeah, I but, but my, my point is, is we don't, the data isn't being kept. I mean, the CDC said we are not keeping track of people who are vaccinated and then get COVID. We are not keeping track of that data. That was a, an announcement made in, I think it was May or June of last year. And, um, and then we quoted that nurses union, um, national nurses union, I think leader who said, who was outraged. I mean, she said, what are you doing? This is, this, th th this is, uh, you know, I, I think I think the point here mostly is that I mean it, and everything you say could be absolutely true, but we don't know. And why don't we know? Why aren't they keeping those that data? And that data shows. And in fact, in Israel, I Israel had a much higher rate mm -hmm. of uh, inoculation than the U.S. They were using the same kind of mRNA vaccine, and um, and they were up like. 85%, I'm guessing, you know, that I seem to remember something like that, 85% inoculation. And then, uh, you know, they were one of the leaders uh, of countries that uh, when the when variants came, so a vaccine, if the vaccine was really working, then that would put a halt to the to this, uh, to all these variants coming up, right? I mean, um, if the vaccine was really working, then, you know, we're getting close to killing it. Right. And so that it can't mutate into something mm -hmm. more, you know, more transmissible or more deadly or whatever, whatever it's going to mutate into. And uh, the, the vaccine only strategy has failed at that. That's that mm -hmm. is absolutely clear. Well, I, I just, I think I'm just making a differentiation between getting COVID versus having like a system failure. And to my understanding, they are, they have tracked, and I have looked at information, not lately, about deaths in hospital versus vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Um, there's more treatments now to protect the unvaccinated from death now also. Um, but for sure, they've been tracking vaccinated or not vaccinated in death in hospitals, at least the time but that I was looking at that. By, so, by, by individual yeah. hospitals, maybe, or individual well, states, but not, not nationally, but, you know, I, nationally. Guess, I don't want to drag it down right now. I guess I'm saying there's a difference between getting COVID and having a system failure and right. have, and having the kind of immunity that protects your systems, your heart, your lungs, your, your, GI, kidneys, liver, and, yeah. and your organs. And so I guess before I, I, I would let it, I just want to bring that point up mm -hmm. as far as the levels of, of protection that is possible. I mean, I, I actually just had COVID and um, it, it wasn't a picnic, but it, no. it wasn't systemic. It was, it got what it got and it was painful, but it didn't knock me out. Yeah. And so 
uh, there's a big difference between system failure and getting COVID. Right. Se. Well, the, and there's and there's something kind of in between that could lead to system failure, um, and that's the long COVID. And they estimate like ten to twenty percent, maybe maybe twenty percent is a little high, of people who get COVID. Um, and we cover this in past shows, but about that much uh, people who get COVID get long COVID, which could be debilitating, which could kill you eventually, right? It, it leads to heart disease and brain failure. And uh, I mean, it, somehow it attaches to your organs and can, um, you know, destroy your, your, your ability to function. Um, so the, the vaccine and, and, and there's been, as far as I've seen, there's been no studies test to see if if the vaccines actually prevent long COVID at all. So, um, and there is a study also that kind of indicates that um, this we covered about two months ago, uh, um, and it was a it was a pretty controversial study, but it it it, it was done with tens of thousands of people, so it was it seemed to be a lot of. A, a lot of data um, that showed that the um, that your risk each time you get COVID, the risk of it becoming more serious goes up, mm. right? So if you, so I've had COVID once at, that I know of, right? And it, it, sometimes it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, people who don't feel ill at all have COVID, right? And maybe mm. passing it on, but. Um, so there's that point, and then and then the other point is is that um, I think only China is probably the only country that has successfully, uh, uh, you know, uh, been able to stop and slow down actually the spread of the virus. But um, you know they've had to take some drastic measures, especially stopping international travel, um, and uh, but uh, they can't you know, they can't remain isolated all by themselves. So they're, you know, uh, uh, the the variants are all over the world now. And we keep, you know, people are flying all over the world and spreading, you know, new variants of COVID. When it, When is that going to end? You know, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I think it was a mis. I, I don't think it was a mistake to do the vaccines. I think it was a mistake to put all your eggs in that one basket, because now it's not. It, it's doing maybe one chore out of five very well, and um, and we're we're having new variants. There's going to be new variants coming up this fall probably, and we got another possible pandemic with the monkeypox and. Um, so, um, yeah, the masking and the social distancing and closing things down un until, you know, spread stops, I, you know, we can't avoid, I mean, that, that has been proven to be successful in China and yet, um, we can't, you know, figure out a way to do that here even better than they do it. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know where, I don't know where, I don't know where, this goes right, but certainly all the eggs in one basket on the vaccine sounds like a nice technical fix, but it it failed. It's failed. Uh, for, uh, one out of like eighty percent failed, maybe. Um, so, 
and I'm not against the vaccine, you know, <laughs> but I, but as we come into this, okay, the, uh, the, the safety of the vaccine and the effectiveness of the vaccine has everything to do with how the companies, the private corporations, the big pharma corporations that have uh, developed these um, vaccines and how they've marketed it uh, is truly uh, disgusting. And yeah, um, you can get into that, which will be really good to hear. Yeah. Yep. As far as internationally and so forth. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm glad to keep this conversation going at some point. Oh, no, you, what you're saying is exactly right, Sue. I think that, I mean, it's, that's good. I, I, I don't disagree with you that the vaccine is not at all useful is, is not true, but it's mm -hmm. not useful against stopping in the, you know, it's like sm the smallpox vaccine, right? I mean, it's smallpox was, you know, essentially eradicated um, because of the vaccine. I mean, right. and, and so um, it, it's not that kind of vaccine, I guess, or, I mean, that was what I was, I think that's what we were all expecting when, when it came out. It's like, okay, well, this is going to stop it in its tracks. Well, it didn't do it. So, yeah. Um, so that's good news, Mark. Uh, no, no, no. That's like <laughs> that's um, boy, oh boy. Well, so you you it's not old-fashioned good news where you're, everybody's you're, happy. And you're, they roll you're, the uh, well, you're you you um, I I feel the pressure, Jim. Um, ah. And well. um, but my safe answer today is that with the uncommonly hot weather, mm -hmm. that hell is not going to freeze over anytime soon. So. Uh, that's, that's my good maybe hell michigan but not not the notable one where all the people that don't eat their eat their vegetables go to <laughs> oh is, there's a hell for that oh, no. <laughs> yeah it depends on what household you're in and how green they are yeah i guess so remember um, to eat your kale and your carrots <laughs> <laughs> yeah what what's the what's the joke um that uh 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 Coconut oil is is great to cook kale with because then you know you cook it all up and then you throw it all away. And so anyway, um, that's a good that, answer. That's that's someone who's burning right, right now in kale hell. Um, <laughs> but um, you know the discussion we were having threw me back to the 1980 election and nuclear power and its place in the future was a big deal. And the guy who really understood nuclear power and nuclear engineer and Hyman Rickover's buddy, Mr. Carter, the incumbent president, said, well, um, the question of nuclear power is easy. It's all about procedure. It's all about sticking to rules and enhancing rules and having feedback that, that so that you have a correction loop in place, kind of like treating COVID, where you do all the little things right and eventually you will win out. And of course, the movie actor said, no, 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 no. We have a fantastic, bombastic program. We're going to spend all this money on this. We're going to spend all this money on that. It's going to be a wonderful, bright future, and it's all going to be perfect. And yeah. it's incrementalism and sticking to rules and doing the little things right that the sound man thinks is the answer. Yeah. Well, I th I think too. There's Medicare for all would also be a nice addition. To this. Oh yes, yeah. thank you for bringing that up, Sue, because that's the absolutely to everything. I mean, yeah, get people out there with no health care, and how, how are you doing? <laughs> and and that's part of the whole social determinants of health, right? If you don't 
if you if you cannot afford healthcare, um, you know all uh, you know all the vaccines in the world are, aren't going to really help out help you out. And and like we said before, it's sort of this is truly a case of um, you know how the least of us is treated um, is going to you know come back and haunt us in in uh, so many ways, right? Um, yeah. because, because we're all on this, we're all in this together. I mean, that's that much. I think I, we can all definitely agree on. Um, so, um, well, um, so sounds like basic solidarity Yes, a basic solidarity. Yes. Um, so we, um, uh, so you asked about good news and this is not unambiguous good news, but it could be a start. Um, and we have pointed out for years that the U.S. government's response to the pandemic has been shamefully incompetent and possibly criminal, and that's my opinion. Um, well, there has finally been an admission of, of sorts that, uh, that indeed is the case by the director of the Centers for Disease Control um, or the CDC. This is from the Financial Times, among many other sources I could have picked, but it, this seemed pretty interesting from the Financial Times of August 17th, quote, the director of the top U.S. public health agency has admitted the organization made some, quote, pretty dramatic, pretty public mistakes, end quote, in tackling the COVID-19 pandemic and unveiled a shakeup of personnel and policies designed to improve its response to emergency situations. Rochelle Walensky, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said on Wednesday, the planned reforms would improve accountability and timeliness of response at the agency, which is responsible for protecting Americans from disease and other public health threats. The CDC's handling of the pandemic has come under stinging criticism from some health experts who contend it has become overly politicized and failed to collect important data needed to slow the spread of COVID or promote rapid testing. More recently, critics have expressed concern about the agency's slow initial response to the spread of monkeypox, which was declared a public health emergency in the U.S. this month, end quote. No, I'll, I'll step back in the Wayback Machine and go back to 1980 when we had just that situation with HIV AIDS. Mm -hmm. And the movie star president pretended it didn't exist. Right. So it, alleging you have a problem is the first step towards solving it. Exactly right. Well said. Um, however, Walensky spends her press release essentially blaming others in the agency and taking no responsibility herself as its head. Uh, most department heads would offer their, res would offer their resignation, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing to do. <laughs> but not Walensky. We pointed out when President Biden appointed her as the head of the CDC that she was in way over her head. The following sums it up precisely and is from the excellent blog Naked Capitalism on August 18th. Quote, the short version of Walensky's tenure is that she came in with great fanfare after the CDC has performed shambolically, losing months of time early in the pandemic by botching its own test kit and not letting other organizations fill the gap. 
There was a lot of predictable Trump blaming, but the test fiasco rests entirely at the CDC's feet, as does its pre-existing reputation for poor performance. Note that if you read the patter at the time of Walensky's elevation, her job was to get, and Jim, you kind of made mention of this, her job was to get a <laughs> hundred million people vaccinated and related to that, make headway in combating Vax resistance and improve the image of the agency. These were not even remotely public health goals, by the way. We pointed out what should have been obvious. Walensky was not remotely qualified. Oh, she's been in and around public health. She was touted as being the head of infectious diseases at the prestigious Mass General, uh, that that the big big research hospital in Boston, which is kind right. of kind of a center of medical research in the world, really. Yes. Um, and um, she was an early AIDS researcher, as uh, kind of mentioned there. Uh, she's been on some important state advisory committees, and so presumably gave good meeting. As we could meeting, <laughs> um, that's um, this is this is a family time show, but yes, it, it is. Um, Mark, wonderful editing there. As as we, this is Naked Capitalism speaking, wrote in 2021, <laughs> 2021, magnitude of CDC role relative to Dr. Walensky's previous experience. Walensky has never managed a bureaucracy the size of the CDC, which has 21,000 employees. It's a little troubling that there is no infectious diseases department on the Mass General organizational chart from June 2019. That confirms the concern that she does not have a history of running a large or even a not-so-large operation, nor has she designed or overseen the implementation of large-scale programs. This challenge is even more daunting given the need for rapid execution to accelerate vaccine distribution, end quote. And, and this is, this continues, the mm. naked capitalism continues. Well, no, that's the end of the quote there. Um, and so I, I, like, I think with that announcement she made, she also needed to resign effective immediately. Then perhaps the once stellar reputation of the CDC can be rehabilitated. In addition, maybe even more important than that, um, that won't happen, uh, uh, rehabilitating the CDC's reputation, unless the CDC also takes back control of the public health agenda away from the giant pharmaceutical companies. The, here, failed, here. the failed vax-only strategy of the CDC, whether under Trump or Biden, and to be fair, you know, Trump was all about that too, um, was, of course, heavily influenced by big pharma. Mm -hmm. And here I might um, put in the little blurb that was on um, Democracy Now! today, mm -hmm. um, where uh, they were talking about um, Biden stepping back from um, the, the feds, the CDC, whoever, um, purchasing vaccines, tests, and treatments. And uh, Ashish Jha um, mm -hmm. The CDC was at a U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, Foundation event um, telling them that um, the government plans to get out of the emergency phase um, of buying those, you know, tests, as I said, test vaccines and treatments, saying we need to get out of the business in the long, in the long run. So basically by 2023, the commercialization of almost all of these um, products is going to be starting this fall or 
and what, um, what could go wrong? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to step back um, from such a crucial role, um, it's just yeah, yeah. We're kind yeah, of between a rock and a hard place, right? We have. Look, I mean, the, the government should be involved, especially in the emergency stuff, right? Um, the government should be the one stepping forward and, and leading that whole thing. But we have, you know, relative, I mean, look, the, the, the statistics don't lie. We've, we have 16% of the world's deaths from COVID and only 4% of the world's population as Jim would say, that's a relatively, I mean, it's down from 20%, okay, 20 to 16. That only means that the rest of the world, you know, that the rest of the world is catching up. Um, that's, that's, that's the rock, okay. And then the hard place is uh, these big giant pharmaceutical companies uh, that are, their interest isn't in public health. Their interest is in making a profit. Mm -hmm. So what's, you know, what's a poor boy to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, and ironically, Ashish Jha was the dean of the public health <laughs> program at Brown U University in, mm -hmm. in Rhode Island. So, is, is he, that? A, no, go ahead, Mark. Oh, well, I was just going to say, is that, do you, in that article, Sue, is that, do you think that that's sort of an ideological um, uh, statement, right? That coming from saying, well, um, you know, the, the private sector can do a much better job. We need to get the government out of doing this. Is that what she's saying? Or Well, I think the main thing, at least in my mind, is where they are when they're saying this stuff. If you're going to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's a really good point. Know your audience. These are the very same people who are um, involved with the Council on National Policy, the whole promulgation of the anti you know, the big government taking over your lives because they're trying to solve the, you know, the onset of the epidemic. Um, they, and, and, and using this, mm -hmm. parlaying it into votes um, and, and divisiveness. Um, I mean, that's what the Chamber of Commerce is built for. That's what it does here and internationally. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're not done. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's where they where they were saying this. That's just yeah. You know, so get off our backs. You you win. You know, right? You know, stop stop sitting on us. Yeah. I mean, we're right. already dismantling the the public health in the country. You know, where they should have been stockpiling and, and being on top of where things were diseases were cropping up and all this stuff. It was all being dismantled long ago. Yeah. No masks, no whatever right. tests. Mask was the thing because that's the reason that we weren't masking in the beginning, right? Because we needed the masks in the frigging hospitals. So we weren't supposed to use masks in the beginning because it would use mm -hmm. up the masks. Yeah, and what... that didn't happen. I mean, just that was crazy. And I, 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 we want to keep moving, so I don't mind. <laughs> oh, well, before we move too far, let's all remember that the mask issue was problematic because we didn't make masks any longer because the health industry that's concerned so much with public welfare and profit is secondary saw fit to have all the masks made in a different hemisphere. And then we had, and there were um, infrastructure and logistics problems at the same time with COVID. So the masks weren't here. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part yeah. of it, there was the whole thing, the marginalization of all the hospital projects. Right, you, right. Uh, you want to have a hospital that's only about profit. I mean, ours got profitized, private, privatized here. You have this um, use one, get one kind of thing. You don't stockpile anything. You don't have anything available. You um, you use one and then you get one. Oh, yeah. And you have like one available. That was yeah, that that's, uh... they marginalize their profits and get all these little any little bit of profit they can get out of their staffing, out of their rooms, whatever. It was all done and decimating the whole frigging system. And then, and then along comes COVID and it's like, Oh geez, what's wrong? I have less than fond memories of an aerospace system, believing in just in time, have Mm -hmm. it only when you need it from the cheapest supplier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it didn't ensure safety any more than (laughs) running the medical industry as we have kept covid from happening in a really bad way in an otherwise affluent country yeah yeah and, and then and the monopoly of of the people who are providing them and what it's just mm-hmm. going on um so anyhow yeah the the system was set up for failure in this case i think and oh, for this right yeah. failure to perform not failure to um, profit. That's right. It's fail, failure to to save a million mm-hmm. Americans, um, but not a failure to provide profit. Yeah. Exactly right. So, aren't, aren't there some related stories out there, Mark, about Pfizer? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you want to see how many people are going to be millionaires out of this whole thing. Oh yeah, it's not and and maybe billionaires too, right? So, did I say millionaires? Pardon me. Yeah, I know. You're, <laughs> that's I know. That's I know. That, change in today's that, that used that used to be something, right? That a million now millionaires. Ah, you know, they're they're part of the poor. They're part of the ninety nine percent. They're part of the ninety nine percent, right? Poor guys. Yes. Yeah. Well, Anyhow. Jim. Yes, we do have some stories about the, the, these bad old pharmaceutical companies, and one with the name of Pfizer. Um, which Rhymes actually, with miser. Miser, sure, it's coincidence. Which yeah. there is a, there's actually they're an employer here in Western Montana. They have a big, uh, hmm. I, I believe they have a big lab in Hamilton. Um, so no kidding. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, we we don't have any economic allegiance to Pfizer, but um, but but they, or they to Rivoli County. Out. <laughs> What's that? Or to Ravalli County. Yeah, Ravalli. <laughs> right. That, I well, no, we have thing. listeners in Ravalli County. Okay. And, That's and true. We, we do now. We, we value them greatly. Okay. And, um, and we value everyone in Ravalli County. However, um, Pfizer, well, you know, they're one of the big pharma companies. And um, we're going to pick on them because, well, um, we could pick on any of them. But they, they ha- happen to be pretty clear in uh, what we have uh, what we have here um, in talking about public health. And so um, in October 2021, and I'm j- this is like I'm cutting out a whole bunch of stuff here, but Public Citizen, the group, um, you know, it was founded mm-hmm. by Ralph Nader, right, a long time ago. Uh, Public Citizen released a report revealing that Pfizer, in its agreements with governments around the world, did the following, and these are just headings of much longer explanations of what they are, but um, they reserve the right to silence governments. They control donations of vaccines, um, either uh, you know, to other countries 
or uh, other products being donated to those countries. Um, they secured intellectual property, property, property <laughs> waivers. Now there's a Freudian slip, right? Yeah. Um, intellectual property waivers for itself. Um, they uh, Pfizer can take any and all disputes to arbitration. And even some of the arbitration, which is not a big surprise, right? Uh, there, people, there are people who get jobs say, well, any dispute you have, we're going to take to arbitration, which is basically saying you don't, you know, you get screwed. Um, uh, but these are international governments. And some of the agreements, the governments agreed to, um, uh, to be subject to U.S. law. Under, under the arbitration, oh, yeah. which I thought is, you know, that that's kind of sovereignty issues there, right? Yeah, I remember there was language like that in NAFTA that uh, didn't get talked about. Yeah. But was but was an issue with the people that were paying attention. Yep, yep. You are listening to KFGM 101.5 FM, Frenchtown, full-powered Missoula Community Radio. Live streaming also on 1015kfgm.org. Well, and so Pfizer would also demand of governments to be able to seize state assets in, oh case, in case of any breach of the agreement and uh, calls the shots on key decisions about, um, and, and this kind of leads us into Costa Rica here pretty soon. Um, as Public Citizen notes at the end of its report, Quote, Pfizer's ability to control key decisions reflects the power imbalance in vaccine negotiations. Under the vast majority of contracts, Pfizer's interests come first. Big surprise, right? And this, this is the problem like Sue was bringing up about allowing the private sector to have full control over all of these products. Disgusting, I think. I agree. Jim agrees. <laughs> um, well, and it's important to understand that Pfizer drew up incredibly bad agreements with nations desperate to save lives in their own populations. That, I mean, look, they had them over a barrel, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to get a pers and it's important to understand that in order to get a perspective on what is going on recently in Costa Rica, one of the nations that signed a bad agreement with Pfizer. Um, and I'm going to quote a lot of different sources here, but the first one is from Naked Capitalism on August 9th. Quote, the recently elected president of Costa Rica, Rodrigo Chavez, and Jim, as you noted, yes. we, we were discussing before, he's a right-wing populist. Mm -hmm. um, Just uh, like Hugo Chavez. No, no, no. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, he was more a left-wing populist, right? Right. Um so more more on the order Bolivarian. Of, yeah, Bolisario and or or even Trump, right? Um but anyway, uh, uh Rodrigo Chavez uh, last week announced the end of compulsory vaccination against COVID-19. And and as I was also saying before, um that the uh, Chavez, uh, the government that Chavez replaced left office at about a 13% approval rate. That's 13% is like you you don't have anybody on your side pretty much. Um, and a lot of that was due to these mandatory vaccinations. The Chavez uh, was elect, well, is certainly now with this 
uh, has approval rating of around 70% of the population after mm. he announced his uh, taking away the vaccine mandates. Okay. Um, so uh, speaking alongside his health minister, Jocelyn Chacon, Chavez said that not only are the vaccines no longer mandatory, any action taken against anyone who does not want to get vaccinated will be in violation of the law. Chavez also called for unvaccinated workers who had lost their jobs to be reinstated and announced the launch of an investigation into the vaccine contracts the previous government signed with Pfizer-BioNTech. Costa Rica was the first country in Central America to implement a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. That was in September of 2021, so about a year ago, when Chavez's predecessor, Carlos Alvarado Quesada, was holding the reins. In November 2021, Costa Rica became the first country in the world to mandate COVID-19 vaccines for minors, with all children five and older obligated by law to get vaccinated, barring medical exemptions. It was a hugely controversial decision that, as in the U.S. and other countries, represented a line in the sand for many parents. The mandate meant that a child could get vaccinated even if their parents did not consent, said Roman Makaya Hayes, then director of Costa Rica's Social Security Institute. Makaya Hayes is now under investigation by the Deputy Prosecutor's Office of the First Judicial Circuit of San Jose for alleged prevarication. Now, alleged prevarication... I didn't know that was against the law in Costa Rica. I mean, politicians would have a tough time on that one. Um, yeah, certainly in the United States, if prevaricating became. I, I think that's a, a worldwide a phenomenon. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's um, practically a definition of uh, developing world politics. And that, and that might, well, I'll get kind of deeper into this. I, I, I'm a little, <laughs> a little suspicious of that, but um, so uh so too uh, under investigation is Daniel Salas, the former Minister of Health who now works in the U.S. with the Pan American Health Organization, as well as six members of the National Vaccination Epidemiology Commission, CNVE, two of whom purportedly participated in decisions regarded, regarding COVID-19 immunization, even though their appointment to the CNVE had expired. That alone is enough to invalidate the acts agreed upon by the CNVE, says President Chavez. His government will also investigate the former Alvarado government's mass. And so, the, so that, I don't know, that sort of sounds like uh, revenge to me, but um, who knows? Um, but this, this next part, I think, sounds a lot more um, uh, legit, right? Um, his government will also investigate the former Alvarado government's massive purchase of COVID-19 vaccines in April 2022, even as the vaccination campaign was losing steam. Chavez said in his weekly press conference last week, quote, we are going to investigate why it is they bought so many vaccines when the data available showed the market was already saturated. Millions of dollars worth of vaccines were purchased at a time that the vaccination rate was already waning. I have no idea how much money was squandered on vaccines that are not going to be used and are going to expire, end quote. Um, Costa Rica's health minister, Jocelyn Chacon, said she could not divulge any of the details of the Pfizer contract due to secrecy clauses embedded deep within the contract. 
She also alleged that Beatrice Solis Warsfold, the daughter of former president of Costa Rica, Luis Guillermo Solis, uh, who was president from 2014 to 2018. Um, and uh, Beatrice uh, Solis is also a corporate lawyer with Pfizer. How about that? <laughs> uh, since 2018 and was instrumental in drawing up the contract. Uh, so uh, the uh, current health minister, Chacon, said, if we release details of the contract, we could end up in jail because we would be violating a contract drawn up by the daughter of former president, Luis Guillermo Solis. End quote. Yikes. Yeah. Hey, um and in keeping with the our word of the week, what public health story do you have next? Well, um, so um, this oh. is oh, this is from the August seventeenth edition of the Washington Post. Quote: The nation's top health officials believe they had finally hit upon a solution to quell weeks of public criticism about the straggling government response to the monkeypox outbreak. So we're kind of shifting viruses here. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> Monkeys monkey are still hominids, so they're, they're on the team. <laughs> yeah. Um, the monkeypox outbreak spreading across the country this summer, they would stretch the nation's limited supply of the only FDA-approved vaccine for monkeypox by splitting doses to cover five times as many people. An admission... Oh after repeated reassurances by top government officials that the United States did not have enough shots for every at-risk American after all. But after Health and Human Services officials announced the proposal on August 4th, Paul Chaplin, chief executive of Bavarian Nordic, the vaccine's manufacturer, called a senior U.S. health official and accused the Biden administration of breaching its contracts with his company by planning to use the doses in an unapproved manner. Even worse, said two people with knowledge of the episode, Chaplin threatened to cancel all future vaccine orders from the United States, throwing into doubt the administration's entire monkeypox strategy. Said one official hmm. who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to comment, in other words, a leak, mm -hmm. a quote, People are begging for monkeypox vaccines, and we've just pissed off the one manufacturer, end quote. Um, the the behind-the-scenes clash with Bavarian Nordic, which has not previously been reported, was just the latest episode in a monkeypox response beset by turf wars, ongoing surprises, and muddled messaging, with key partners frequently finding themselves out of sync as they race, race to catch up to a rapidly unfolding crisis. For two months, the Biden administration has been chased by headlines about its failure to order enough vaccines, speed treatments, and make tests available to head off an outbreak that has grown from one case in Massachusetts on May 17th to more than 13,500 this week, overwhelmingly among gay and bisexual men. In 100 days after the outbreak was first detected in Europe, no country has more cases than the United States with public health experts warning the virus is on the verge of becoming permanently entrenched here, end quote. Ooh, so much like the early days of COVID. We should be the best and we're the worst. <laughs> and there's, 
and there's a population that's a, a political football. So do we really care? And I think there's some questions about um, for the populations that are, well, that the, I guess, black men are proportionally, I, I had figures, but I don't have them in front of me, um, that their access to the tests and the vaccines, to the vaccines, are much lower than the proportion that they mm -hmm. share. So the whole question of who's getting. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to know who these top administration officials are that decided, oh, it's bathtub gin. We're just going to water it down. And it's all there is, so they're good. people are just going to have to accept it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it'd be, it, it's sort of like with Fauci and the don't wear the mask because we need them at hospitals. Don't You don't need, they don't need to lie to us, right? I mean, it it's, gets back to the public health depends on trust. Mm -hmm. you, and you lie once and you're going to lose a lot of people's trust. And, and you're in all of, you, you might have the best system in the world, but if people aren't going to trust it, you're, you're not going to succeed. I mean, it, it's, I, I don't, I don't understand this proclivity to lie about this stuff. Right. Or to put, I mean, I, I, I can, because it's, you know, like, well, there's the midterm elections and we got to present this, you know, this <clears throat> the proper face to the election. So, so we get the right people elected so we can take care of this problem. Well, you know, that's kind of BS, right? Um, that uh, if you're if you're honest with people, that, that goes a much longer way of building trust. Then at least you don't blow it that way. Um, yeah, and it gets and there's a little bit more about monkeypox too that I have, and I know Sue, you've been doing some research into it too. Um, yeah, but um. um mm. This, this is from an August 15th article in Naked Capitalism. Um, and again, this is about the CDC's response to monkeypox, right? Mm -hmm. Specifically, that the CDC monkeypox case report form omits any questions about airborne transmission. So if, if you think about it, so when, when hospitals oh or states report monkeypox, right, infections, there's a form, and, and this author um, went through the form, okay, and, uh, and there's, you know, there's nothing in there really directly um, uh, asking questions about airborne transmission. So, and the reason why that's important, I'll get to that in a second, okay, because mm -hmm. up until, um, uh, up until just recently, I mean, monkeypox has been around for a long time in Africa, right? It's this is nothing new, um, and it's been uh, it, it, it's been definitely considered an airborne transmittable virus. All of a sudden, now it's not apparently. Um, anyway, the Naked Capitalism author said, with this caveat, I am not saying that monkeypox is airborne. Okay, to my knowledge, we don't have epidemiological studies of the same quality we have with COVID, the kind with seat charts and diagrams of airflow, as in the famous Skagit Valley Chorus study, but with many others. That is the kind of evidence I rate highest, most of all because such studies show me how to imagine the ground and what to do. However, 
we do have sufficient information not to rule out airborne transmission altogether. That the CDC does this a priori or they just mm-hmm. make the assumption it's not airborne and they, they're not going to ask questions about it. And at the start of what we all hope is not the start of another global pandemic on the order of COVID is mind-boggling or would be mind-boggling if we had not by this time had plenty of experience with how the Centers for Disease operates. They have form, end quote. Then there is this from Kaiser Health News on June 8th, quote, CDC posts then deletes guidance on airborne risks of monkeypox. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says it removed the recommendation that travelers worried about monkeypox should wear a mask because it was causing confusion, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Although public health officials have been linking many of the cases in this outbreak to close sexual contacts, monkeypox can also (laughs) be spread through the air for short distances, end quote. And then there's this from the journal Nature on August 11th. Several studies show that few people contract the disease from an infected household member with whom they didn't have sexual contact. This finding paired with the data about viral load suggests that respiratory droplets and airborne particles probably, and I'm going to emphasize the word probably Mm -hmm. because that's a science word, right? Aren't the primary transmission route, said Boguma uh, Titanji, an infectious disease physician at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. If corroborated by further research, which, which, by the way, the CDC has decided not to do, uh, it could call into question whether people should isolate for the entire duration of the infection, which might be difficult because the illness seems to take up to a month to resolve. Tatanji adds, even if the virus can be sexually transmitted, it's unclear how large of a role this mode of transmission has compared with simply being in close skin-to-skin contact with a person or inhaling their respiratory particles <laughs> or aerosols, mm-hmm. which, also, <clears throat> which also occur during sex, end quote. And all of, all of which means that the CDC not requesting information on airborne transmission in their report forms for monkeypox is bad science and worse public, and worse public health practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed in a... Um, Costa Rican news source in English, conveniently, with the headline on Jocelyn Chacon that eliminating the mask requirement was not a populist decision. Oh, okay. The mask mandate or the vaccine mandate? In this article, it was the headline was eliminating the mask mandate was not a populist decision. And then in the body of the article, I, I could, it was all non sequitur. So I'm guessing that this is a house organ for the, for the, you know, Costa Rican tourist industry. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's it. So pro- profit motive enters into, into all yeah. of this, right? <clears throat> um, yes. Come to our eco resorts, please. But, but what's, you know, what, what I, it just boggles my mind. I mean, um, it's very clear. So the author in Naked Capitalism shows the form and shows the questions where it should be. And there's no questions about airborne uh, uh, transmission. In fact, some of the symptoms of airborne transmission, like a cough, 
or wheezing or congestion, you know, stuff, stuff that's associated, you know, with, with your breathing um, are some of the more predominant um, symptoms of monkeypox. It's not the, it's not the mm -hmm. most, those, the pustules yeah. on the skin is the most common, but there's mm -hmm. associated with these, you know, so who know? I mean, look, we, we don't, we're not saying we know that airborne transmission is, you know, like a major factor in monkeypox trend, but if it's a, if it's a factor, we should know about that. And the CDC is not collecting information to know about that. And, and you can't help but conclude that it's because of the, all the pushback on, you know, mass mandates and closures of businesses and that sort of thing. If, if they're just trying to avoid that um, by just ignoring it. Mm -hmm. So um, that's more good news. Huh? Yeah. yeah. No, that's not good. <laughs> right. It's just like, you know, Frederick Nietzsche writing comedy. Yeah, I would not be in the CDC's position of trying to sell masks again. Yeah, it's kind of they've they've kind of blown it already, haven't they? Well, uh, I think it's. I mean, it. I mean, it's. Well, I they've they've said that you should be able to survive it now, so. You know, if you've been exposed to someone, you don't have to mask up. If you get symptoms, then you need to mask and do the isolation and so forth. So it's not like a complete, um, what do you call it, dereliction, well, just forgetting your duty. Um, yeah. And so, we, all, we, all, we all know how well that works, Sue, which isn't yeah. and, not at all. And masks are such a simple thing to do. Yeah. It's low tech but it's highly effective. It's, it's specific to the person wearing it and we all should be wearing them. Why not? Yeah. I was in the process of trying to do some research on monkeypox. It was interesting. Just the points that that fellow was bringing up were based. Some of them were based on uh, cases that came back in 2003. Mm -hmm. No uh, kidding. Yep. 2005. Okay. North America. 2003. Yeah, yeah, what it was was there's these oh my God. their prairie dog pets. Yes. Were oh. affected that were kept in in along with some exotic rodents that came from um um Congo, I think. Or, and yeah, so Africa. Not not West Africa, I don't think. Uh, but anyhow, okay. maybe it was West Africa at that time. Yeah. That there's a difference between, I mean, the, what came across in 2003 to 2005 was like 37, mm -hmm. a total of 37 white, basic, a Midwestern, like in Wisconsin or Minnesota, it might be Minnesota, who got this terrible um, onset of, I mean, two, two kids wound up in ICUs and debated. So it was affecting the kids really badly. And, and there's all this, I mean, I did go into it in some detail with them and when I was doing the reading and and um and so that those those um um t symptoms were from 37 yeah. mm -hmm. so that's all 37 people who had that many um just, you know like you said intubated because it went systemic and so forth but um and and part of that was because of the shifting of fluids because of your electrolytes going into your skin and blah 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 so there's all this stuff going on with that and then you've got what's going on now which is coming 
from West Africa, which isn't the same as what was going is going on in the endemic in, in the Congo. And that's what's over here now. So there's all these things that are going on with this. Um, but so anyhow, I mean, to me, and I came across one person in the UK who went to a bunch of, um, of um, concerts where everybody was dancing close together. He went to four of these and he came up with monkeypox. Um, so presumably it wasn't from skin to skin. It was from close proximity, which mm-hmm. you would think, um, you know, a close distance with aerosol, whatever, yeah. possibly drop. Yep. And, and that's the only, you know, that's the only thing I've really seen of somebody who says, hey, I got it because of whatever. So, I, you know, I don't know how they're going to, I mean, to me, it's, I mean, the people who are going to be most at risk are going to be, um, well, like an, and what's going on in like May is like people who have HIV, um, you know, of, of a thousands, a thousand people or 2,800, I can't remember my details here. 41% had HIV, um, 41% white, 28% Hispanic, 26% black is to get the stuff out to people as fast as they can or in situations that then they should mask. I don't think you're going to get everybody in New York City to wear a mask on the subway because mm-hmm. of, because of you know I guess in New York City and some other two or three other towns is where the outbreaks are. Nobody, everybody's not going to wear a mask, but some people it could help. Well, and and I I think though I I you I think we need to set kind of a higher standard though. I mean I I agree with you yeah. they're they're not going to all be masks, but. Look, I mean, China's able to do kind of a um, whenever the look. They they're still doing contact tracing, and then and then and then you know isolating people with COVID, mm-hmm. um, and then and then uh, you know everyone around them is, has to be wearing masks, the N95 mask, and you know take all the precautions. And they're getting food delivered to their door and they're right, getting right. support while they're locked in their whatever. They're not like, hey, sorry, in our system, you don't have health care. You don't exactly. have exactly now yeah, you're on your own, right? Job because yeah. you know, and then expect people to not want to bring down the government. Right. <laughs> you know, and the well, but I but I do but I do think that in China, so look, it's a different culture and there's different response to sort of the, the government. It's just it's a cultural difference as much as anything i think but um they've you can't it, it, it's hard to deny they've been successful in really controlling covid right and so and part of that is like when it when it's appropriate like people should be masking up i mean you know we should probably be masking up if we if we get the flu right or, or mm-hmm. if during flu season i mean you see that a lot in japan and other asian nations yeah you certainly do yeah. It seems a third of the people that are on the train with me have a mask on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I think, but, but I think you're right in this country because of our recent history um, that it's going to be much more difficult. I think this is where, I mean, maybe we should hire, um, you know, a hundred thousand social workers <laughs> to start working with people. To 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 sort of re- this might have to happen to rebuild the public health, um, you know, trust in the public health establishment. I mean, mm-hmm. the public health establishment needs to clean its house, but to, in order to restore trust, there might n- need to need to be a lot of, like may- maybe a million social workers uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, to go out and and uh, and and work on rebuilding that trust and and gaining. But you can't you can't put social workers. I mean, I've worked with in this situation. If you don't have the supports that can make it possible, mm-hmm. point in going to somebody's door and saying, "Oh, you've got whatever." That that's know, what I mean. Yeah. No mm-hmm. system. You don't have a medical system. You don't have social. Right supports you don't even have food for people in that situation you know i right i just had COVID yeah. in another country and and i i mean it's just it's awful if you can't get food yeah uh, you know it's just uh anyhow i don't know yo, you remember, remember right, that was go ahead mark oh i was yeah. just gonna say you're exactly right sue i think that the the the, the current system we have now our political economy is not going to be able to rise to the occasion on COVID or monkeypox right. or the next, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that, you know, there's viruses <laughs> circling, you know, circling over our country, right? Just waiting. Yeah, you I mean, know. Look at climate change, everything. Yeah. Exactly. Whole, and so, know. yeah, so we can't, it, this has to be a holistic solution. It can't exactly. be just, it just can't be the head of the CDC resigning. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. agree with that totally. Yeah. yeah I mean, you can, you know, I mean, even the, the the new climate bill, you know, the whatever it's called, the Inflation Something Reduction Act. Reduction Act, mm-hmm. yes, right. We're throwing all this money into um, in, into private enterprise to like put your heat pump in and to you know get your batteries and all this stuff, and yet you're not regulating it. You're mm-hmm. not making a difference and and you're rolling back regulations and at or trying to um and and the first thing they do then is arrest people who are protesting you know all this climate news and then the next piece of news is oh and then we arrested these people in schumer's Schumer's office it's like what (laughs) but anyhow i i digress well i know that you're you're central that's central Mm -hmm. to the whole thing sue you're you're Mm -hmm. not digressing at all absolutely this sounds like a topic for the Montana Public Health and Social Services Coalition. <laughs> there we go. That's, That's a plug for sixty-six yeah, percent of the <laughs> participants yeah, in this show. Uh, I guess I wanted to before we. I know you wanted to say some more about what what went on in a uh, monkeypox, but I guess I wanted to say something while we're on the topic of yeah, corporate America and what all. Um, you know, we've all lost um, John Ingen. Yeah, and I didn't know mm-hmm. if we had time to talk about him and all, but I just wanted by now the time this airs, then the um, memorial for John will, will probably be well. It starts at ten on Saturday, and this airs yes. at night. So, and, and so, if I um, may just interject um, for our listeners, um, not from Missoula, um, John Engen was uh, our the mayor of Missoula for I think seventeen years, long time. Yeah, yeah he was just partway into his fourth term, I guess. And, um, you know, he's just, I mean, for me, I mean, the just most iconic thing, of course, is that he had the foresight to um, take over from a huge, huge, huge mutual fund, Carlisle Group, our, our water. And yeah, well, excellent point. Credits to him, you know, the condolences mm. talk about it. it wasn't just the taking on Carlisle, so we wouldn't be bottling our water, or sending, you know, whatever. But he also protected in that way the whole watershed and the whole rattlesnake watershed. It's just, I mean, what a memorial for a person like him. It's yeah, it's a living a, memorial. It'll it be perpetually so, you know, associated with it. I don't know if anybody else is thinking about it, but I'm thinking about on 
on Sunday going down to like Greeno and just really honoring the rivers because it's just, um, it just, I don't know, just makes me proud. Yeah. Well, well said, Sue. Ironically, uh, Mayor Engen died three years or three days after um, Wolfgang Peterson, very notable German movie director, also died from pancreatic cancer. So there's universality. A terrible thing, pancreatic cancer. Yeah, very bad. Yeah, his um, the the fight to publicly control the water system here in Missoula actually goes back almost a hundred years, and and but more intently, more intensely, like maybe in the last thirty years, twenty years, um, and he pulled it off. Right, he faced a lot of criticism, but I think. I think most people feel like that was one of his crowning achievements for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 When you see, And then you get like a month of 90 degree weather in Missoula. Yep. I mean, it's just insane. I can't believe we don't have smoke yet. Knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, my name is Sarah McLean and I'm an organizer with the Western Montana Democratic Socialists of America. And I'm going to read an op-ed I wrote that was published in the Missoulian recently called A Look at Property Damages. Kendall Cotton, in his article in the Missoulian of July 5th, America Made Possible by Property Rights, unquote, states, quote, what makes America special is that our system is deeply rooted in the concept that property rights and individual rights are inseparable, unquote, and that this confluence is what has made our country what it is today. How did this miracle happen in the case of the United States? How did settlers coming over on ships amass all this private property with its attendant freedoms? First, they, we, took over the communally held land and killed or dispossessed the indigenous peoples who subsisted on the plants, animals, and water without changing the climate or exhausting the resources. That system, which had endured for thousands and thousands of years, was replaced by a model wherein one person owned a large piece of land by himself, land on which he could cultivate a single crop like cotton or tobacco, and have the labor done by slaves who did not even own their own bodies. To their owners, in quotes, they were property. So not so much of a miracle and not so much freedom for the unfortunate many who didn't own property. If the right to own property gives one the right to speak, then effectively not owning property reduces that right. Private property then is an of power. This is happening all over the world here and in Indonesia, for instance, where 15 million acres of rainforest were destroyed for palm oil cultivation between 2000 and 2012. This has the effect of evicting the indigenous who subsist in the rainforest without papers to prove their legal right to do so burning and clearing the forest along with all the animals, depleting the water table so fish cannot live and feed people, while in exchange, offering the opportunity for hard work at low wages in bad conditions, thus creating jobs. 
B. Wilson, London Review of Books, 23 June, 2022. When we talk about private property, we don't mean a person's toothbrush, car, or house, which are personal property. It refers to more extensive ownership for personal benefit, rather than being owned by the government for the benefit of the citizens or being owned by a co-op for the benefit of a community of people. Let's look at the example of the giant diamond found recently in Angola. It is to be sold by the state-owned diamond firm, Sodium. Missoulian, July 31, 2022, Earth Week. If this firm follows the example of other nationally owned entities, the proceeds will be used for capitalization of the business and also for the good of the people of the country. And shouldn't this be the way to go, especially when it comes to mines? How can one person say this is his alone? I agree with Kendall Cotton in his emphasis on the vital importance of everyone owning her own body. He references James Madison on the right to self-ownership, meaning that, quote, each person had unalienable rights given to them by God, rights that no government could ever revoke, unquote. If only that were true. Remember, the Supreme Court of the United States has just ruled that women cannot fully own their own bodies and minds. Let's not confuse private property with democracy and human rights. They are antithetical. So um, it's we're still looking for that good news vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... Um... It's not really good news, but actually there's there's usually good news embedded in bad news, you know, and, and this one hmm. is, is a sign that someone in Congress is actually smart and paying attention to to the bad news. Um, and this and we're going to shift gears here. And this is um, about inflation and about the Federal Reserve Bank's response to it. Um, in an article by Jake Johnson in the August 18th edition of Common Dreams, he writes, quote, the newly released minutes of the Federal Reserve's July meeting indicates that U.S. central bank officials have no plans to deviate from aggressive interest rate hikes as they attempt to tamp down high inflation, a policy response that one economist characterized characterize as a commitment to unleashing mass unemployment. Noted Adam Hirsch, a senior economist at the Economic Policy Institute, uh, we have a supply side problem, but uh, we have a su supply side problem, but rather than trying to restore or raise supply side capacity, the Fed is aiming to push demand down to the level <coughs> where supply is currently constrained by pandemic, war, and climate crises. We cannot simply step back and allow the Federal Reserve to address inflation on the backs of everyday people, end quote. And so, you know, we've covered this, mm -hmm. we've covered this in other shows about the causes of inflation. I mean, look, inflation is bad worldwide. There's not a, there's hardly any countries that aren't suffering from it now. And so there's some worldwide causes for that. I mean, that's what that points to. Um, and one is the, of course, the COVID bottlenecks, right? The, the you know, neoliberal capitalism has uh, exported a lot of productive capacity around the world and made countries specialize in certain things. And when you, when the transportation 
breaks down uh, as it did during COVID um, and is still not fully recovered, um, you're going to have shortages and that's going to raise prices, obviously, right? So mm-hmm. I know I was reading something about cars, right? And I don't know if any listeners have tried to get their car fixed, but uh, <laughs> most most cars, newer cars are really like computers with an internal right. combustion engine <laughs> and seats. Um, so, uh, and, but and let's uh, get rid of that internal combustion engine. And just- yeah, well, th- there you go. But but the problem is more in the chips, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a big chip shortage because we we uh, you know we. Um, private well it was always privatized but it was uh you know sent overseas right for cheaper labor to get that extra imagine ounce that of, ounce of profit out of it and so now there's it it takes weeks and weeks and weeks to get a car fixed and this guy was telling the story about how okay uh he left at the garage and so he's he he goes down to the rental car agency they don't have any cars because they got rid of big part of their fleet during COVID and haven't been able to replace cars. So he went down to an auto dealer and they didn't have any extra chips and they didn't have any extra cars. Uh, And so he's, uh, as he says, well, I guess there's always the great public transportation system in the United States that I can rely Mm -hmm. on. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks to mayor, our former mayor, it's not, bad in missoula that's right we have considering the opportunities we we have it's a great job yeah we do have an excellent bus system and it's free Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. that's another that's another good legacy i i I, it wasn't only engen but he helped he definitely was part of that uh constructing of that grant for more electric uh buses i saw that too and i think if they when they get that grant and finish purchasing all the buses, then um, 90%, I think, of the fleet will be electric in Missoula. Oh, wow. That's great. And, and most of our electricity comes from hydroelectric power. So mm-hmm. it's truly carbon neutral, right? Um, in, in that way, it's excluding the, the amount of, uh, you know, carbon that went into building these buses, right? And building the batteries for the, mm-hmm. the electric <laughs> buses. But at least in their operation, um, they're going to be relatively carbon neutral and for free. What's not to like about that, right? Um, anyway, back to inflation. Um, the the um, the climate crisis is also adding fuel to the fire. Look, all these mm-hmm. big forest fires, the dewatering of the Southwest in the United States, just as an example. Other uh, sorts of climate uh, catastrophes happening around the world. Um, that's also causing, uh, helping to add to inflation. And then the third big one is really the U.S. sanctions against Russia in the war in Ukraine Mm -hmm. is having big-time influence on inflation, especially in the United States and Europe. So um, and uh, So that sounds like supply side to me. That is supply. It's all supply side, right? Um, That's right. And uh, anyway... um, it's interesting to note that Adam Hirsch is primarily a Pacific Rim and China guy, and that's his academic background. Oh, interesting. The, the yeah. economist from the Economic Policy Institute. Exactly. Hmm. So it's so it's Sino-U.S. Uh, you know, macroeconomics. That's his big deal. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, maybe we should look for him more. So, yeah. Um, so once in a while, the right guy's in the right spot. <laughs> We're not 
we're not looking at you, Rochelle. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, and if she even listens, right? Um, <laughs> well, she does good meeting. I've heard that. She does good meeting, yes. <laughs> um, well, back, back to the Federal Reserve and raising interest rates to fight inflation, okay? Mm-hmm. Published <laughs> Wednesday, the minutes of the Fed's July 26-27th policy meeting show that the nation's central bankers believed at the time that, quote, there was little evidence to date that inflation pressures were subsiding reporting that their business contacts remain concerned about persistently high inflation, end quote. Fed officials expressed their view on inflationary trends prior to the latest consumer price index reading, which suggested that price surges, a problem hardly limited to the U.S., have cooled slightly while remaining near a four-decade high of 8.5% year over year. The Fed's minutes read, quote, They judged that inflation would respond to monetary policy tightening and the associated moderation in economic activity. Boy, talk about your wordsmithing. Mm -hmm. Um, Associated moderation in economic activity with a delay and would likely stay uncomfortably high for some time. Participants also observed that in some product categories, the rate of price increase could well pick up further in the short run with sizable additional increases in residential rental expenses being especially likely, end quote. Oh, that's what we all want to hear. Right. Um, While conceding that, quote, supply bottlenecks were continuing to contribute to price pressures, end quote, Fed officials signaled that they will stay the course with rate increases aimed at suppressing economic demand, an approach they acknowledge would likely cause higher unemployment. The Fed's next policy meeting is in September, when another large rate hike is expected, even amid evidence of moderating prices, as well as slowing economic and wage growth. According to the Fed minutes, now here's the smoking gun. According to the Fed minutes, quote, participants observed that in part because of tighter financial conditions and an associated moderation in the growth of aggregate demand, which means a slowdown of the economy. Yeah. Uh, growth in employment would likely slow further in the period ahead. They noted that this development would help bring labor demand and supply into better balance. Oh. Whatever that means. Reducing- yeah, well, I, it's easy enough to guess. It means in order to maintain profit levels and uh, you know the value of capital, um, That's we're going to have to manage. We're just going to have to balance how many people get get kicked out of their job right what things cost i almost use a word we can't use on fc you know the fcc won't use but that's a good (laughs) one um yeah you you said it exactly right um and that it's a sound uh, man's job that's a sound you're you you got a sound analysis there Um, oh (laughs) okay that's that was good mark (laughs) um Well, they noted that this development would help bring labor demand and supply into better balance, reducing upward pressures on nominal wage growth. In other words, screw wage increases (laughs) (laughs) and aiding the return of inflation to 2%. Participants remarked that a moderation in labor market conditions would likely involve a decline in the number of job openings, as well as a moderate increase in unemployment from the current very low rate. End quote. The minutes continue, noting that officials admitted the risk of hiking interest rates 
quote, by more than necessary to restore price stability, end quote. You know, George Orwell could have been a marvelous um, <laughs> economist. I, I love the, um, the faux gentility and kindness in their word choice when they're really talking about slapping people around that deserve to be treated better. Yeah. And, give, and rewarding the owners of capital, the people in charge. Yep. Uh, it's such could, a polite thing to do. Yeah. You couldn't have said that better, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> So it, essentially, when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, it charges on the money it lends to banks. Borrowing money from those banks becomes more expensive. Imagine yep. that. Yep. So businesses will borrow less money, and that will tend to slow, even shutter some businesses, thereby throwing people out of work. People will have less income to spend into the economy, as the theory goes, which will create less for da- demand for goods and services, slowing down the economy and thereby slowing down inflation. Um, I see. So let's make money more expensive so that we can't increase supply of goods to tamp it down. Yeah. <laughs> What's uh, I know. When am know, I going to finally understand this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> well, and see this, they're, they're, you know, honestly, the Federal Reserve seemed to have learned some lessons from the great financial crisis in 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but they don't, they seem to be backsliding here big time um, because they, because their measures totally failed back then. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that's when uh, the, the, this whole idea that uh, the Federal Reserve has, you know that monetary it's called monetary policy that adjusting the interest rates right. has a huge influence on the economy well it 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 does but it doesn't have a huge good influence on the economy that's right it's essentially coming up with um algorithms to determine how far to put the the carrot away from the donkey's mouth right right in and order, that in and order that, to stimulate well, the economy what's that way, it throws us under the bus Exactly. Yeah, but it's an electric bus now. In, in the case of Missoula, <laughs> at least we're carbon neutral when we get right. run over by the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. It's... So the so the carbon units are carbon neutral. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know that the the theory of the, that the Fed can control inflation this way is actually ludicrous anymore, right? And that yeah, these, these that's are, a good word. I, these these are grown, these are grown, educated people who are actually promoting a policy of devastation for the working class. And and if you remember the 1970s and 80s in response to the to the supply side inflation caused by mm-hmm. uh, by the the Arab oil embargo. Yeah. Um, in, 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 instead of dealing with that, in fact, it, as we pointed out, that oil embargo was imposed principally to supporters of Israel's occupation of mm-hmm. uh, of Arab land. Okay, that was that right. was the intent. You never heard about it. It was just oh well, it's. Our gas prices are going out of sight. They're seventy-five cents a gallon, crying out loud. Right, you know, because that's about what it, what it was, right? But it did it did have a whole ripple effect through the economy. Well, what did Paul Volcker do? Interest rates, <laughs> I think, were like I don't know, fifteen. They were double digit. Oh no, it was it was terrible. I they remember were, and, in Austin, and, I had an eighteen percent, you know, mortgage loan, and that. That was typical. It was just yeah, crazy. And and that just that 
crash the economy. I mean, really. Right. In, in, yeah. And, um, and, and so this that, is an apostasy. Um, I, you know, I remember back as a kid growing up in the 60s, the discussion was always about a guns and butter economy. It was about, you know, what what is the correct balance between war material to send off to our imperial wars and having domestic products? And you and, and you would jeopardize the health of the country if if you, you know, put put too much production into war material and not enough for products at home. And we had the same dilemma and we're in during World War II when we had, you know, crazy price mechanisms that had to be put in place by Truman. Um, you know, it's the same old, same old. People have forgotten the lessons and they're so um, wedded to to their illusions that there isn't even any discussion about whether or not the, um, you know, paradigm is correct. That's exactly right. And, and glad you, because there is someone who remembered <laughs> about price controls. I'm going to, Oh yeah. Nice Do you have a win button with you right now, Mark? Uh, well, that was, that was just jaw owning as they would mm -hmm. say. Right. But no price controls were actually on certain products. This was during world war two that oh, um, yeah. Thank prices you. could only rise by a certain percentage, right? They just said, nope, you can't do it. And if you violate this, you go to jail, okay? Oh. Um, or get heavily <laughs> fined. That was during World War II. Okay. And Thanks Nixon for reminding me of that. Nixon, Nixon also had some. Oh, that's right. He did. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. that's what I was alluding to. Yeah, okay. Okay. And the that's, whip inflation now buttons. Yeah. That was Ford, I think. But yeah. yeah. It was around that time. They were those price oh, right. controls. Ford or Chevy. Who, you know, it's all. Ford or Chevy. <laughs> and no one talks about Chrysler anymore. So anyway. Um, that's so another story. That's another <laughs> story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that could be, that could be a month's worth of shows following the um, um, peripatetic path of the Chrysler Corporation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how it got to where it is yeah. now. So well, we're, what, monopoly power and we're talking. Um, what would it take to really control prices? Because you, so isn't there some bills too that are trying to? I don't, I don't know about the bills, but I, I got this little piece here about about what what Jamal some economists think mm -hmm. we should be doing, right? Mm -hmm. Jamal um, Bowman too, you said. Yes, Jamal Bowman. Then he has a bill, and that's I'll get to that here in a second. But mm -hmm. this is from the Common Dreams article of August eleventh again. In an op-ed for The Guardian on Wednesday, Isabella Weber of the University of Massachusetts Amherst and Mark Paul of Rutgers University observed that, quote, the current inflation situation hasn't been about all goods in the economy getting more expensive at the same rate. Specific goods, food, fuel, cars, and housing have been experiencing massive price shocks, raising the general inflation level substantially. They wrote, controlling these changes would require aggregate demand to shrink to unbearable levels for average Americans, essentially making people too poor to buy goods and thus alleviating bottlenecks. Rate hikes are not only ill-suited to bring down these essential prices, but risk a recession throwing millions out of work, end quote. As an alternative strategy for fighting inflation, Weber and Paul make the case for quote, targeted price stabilization measures, including price controls to limit price increases in systemically significant goods and services, gas, housing, food, electricity, etc. Quote, contrary to conventional wisdom, 
price controls have a rather successful history in the U.S. when used right. And mm-hmm. while not a magic bullet, they are a powerful tool to tame inflation and protect low and middle income Americans. Right. Hey. <clears throat> this is particularly true when market power, read monopoly power, um, <laughs> be it from landlords, oil companies, or meat cartels, is at play. Weber and Paul specifically expressed support for Democratic Socialist Representative Jamal Bowman from New York who recently introduced Emergency Price Stabilization Act, legislation that would establish a White House task force to, quote, proactively investigate corporate profiteering and propose measures to ensure adequate supply of relevant goods and services, expand productive capacity, and meet climate and public health standards in the application of any price controls or regulations, end quote. In an August 4th statement unveiling his bill, Bowman said that, quote, we cannot simply step back and allow the Federal Reserve, which hiked interest rates again last week, to address inflation on the backs of everyday people. That approach approach (laughs) means throwing people out of work and risking a recession, Bowman warned. Here is the question we must ask. Do we have the resources and skills to reach our full productive capacity? Make sure everyone in this country has a good job and manage our economy and interests of all people. I believe the answer is yes, but we'll need a new economic playbook to get there, he added, and passing my Emergency Price Stabilization Act would be a major step in the right direction, end quote. Amen. I'm sold. (laughs) So Bernie has somebody, has an understudy. I love it. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, uh, Bowman's been he's been reelected, I think, um, at least once. So, um, but but that idea, a new economic playbook. That's, uh, I mean, we need all sorts of new things right now. But yeah, that's absolutely. that is yeah. one big one right there. Um, and he's he's really if if you read the language, he's really promoting kind of a modern monetary theory. Uh, approach yeah. to inflation and to uh, to to government uh, to to the government uh, following through. So, um, very 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 encouraging. Yeah, because that's the question we all need to ask, and that's, it's the obvious answer. That's right. To all so we, but a few, the ones that make the decisions for us. Yes, absolutely. Well. Um, So um, as is our theme here, we promote the cause of strong democratic unions here, here besides the third wave workers of Missoula at black coffee roasters. There are efforts to do more union organizing in Western Montana, among other service industry and other workers as well. Is that true, Mark? That is absolutely true. In fact, there's ring a ding ding about four or five different uh, organizing campaigns at various stages going on right now in Missoula, um, and uh, uh, so anyone who works in Western Montana and who is interested in organizing or knows someone who does, you can find support and practical help by calling or emailing the Western Montana Workers Alliance. There are experienced and trained volunteers to help get you going. You can contact the Western Montana Workers Alliance at westernmtwa at gmail.com, and I'll spell it out, W-E-S-T-E-R-N-M-T-W-A 
at gmail.com or by leaving a message at 406-924-3830. That's 406-924-3830. And uh, operators may not be standing by, but they will soon get back. <laughs> they're on a coffee break. Ed. They're they're on <laughs> at, a union. At, they're on a union break. At black coffee roasters. That's at black and that's right. Drinking black coffee. So well. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, please make a contribution to Missoula Community Radio and help keep all of the great programs on the air. Just go to our new website at www.1015kfgm.org and you can make it there. Everyone associated with Missoula Community Radio do so without pay. We are volunteering our time, so please volunteer a few dollars. Thanks. Please join us every week on Voice of the People, radio by and for the 99%.